From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. It is great to have you here. And it is a wonderful day to study Torah together. This is Daily Power Parsha, where we study the the daily reading of the Torah, of the Torah portion. Today is Thursday, April 28th, 2022, and we have a lot to cover. Today, I actually want to finish off the fifth reading and go into the sixth reading so that tomorrow we can do seventh and haftorah so we, we get the full the full picture this week so that's the goal let's jump right in all right um i still have my rashi toggle from yesterday which is great we're in the middle of reading number five and we were talking about a person who traps an animal verse 13 so yesterday just to clarify yesterday we spoke about the um the commandments and the the the, the jewish law regarding um, offering sacrifices, and we said that sacrifices, if you're offering something to God, it's got to be brought in the temple, it's got to be brought in the, in the one place, the one destination that is designed exclusively for that service. We also spoke about um, the prohibition against eating blood, kind of, that's how we ended off yesterday's conversation, the prohibition against eating blood, and uh, not imbibing, not inculcating the, the pure, raw energy of the animal's soul, rather only eating the animal flesh, the, the meat of the animal, which can then be converted, if you will, into human energy and then can be lifted for a higher purpose. But to consume the blood would be to consume that pure, raw energy, which would be too potent for a human being to be able to transform and utilize in a healthy way. All right, let's continue now, verse 13. And any man of the children of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who traps a quarry of a wild animal or bird that may be eaten and sheds its blood. Okay? So if you trap an animal or bird that may be eaten, and it's a kosher animal, kosher bird, and then you shed its blood in the context of ritual slaughter. I don't mean sacrificial slaughter, but ritual slaughter, any slaughter. So he shall cover it, the blood, with dust. Once again, we have um, uh, teachings regarding the blood and the sanctity of the blood. You can't consume the blood. It's the soul of the animal. It's not good for you, but it's also not good for it because it's, it's the soul of the animal. And when it spills on the, on the ground, it needs to be covered with afar, with dust. In fact, we do this mitzvah to this very day. We do this mitzvah in a slaughterhouse. Okay, personal story time. I know you guys love these stories. Maybe. I hope you do. I love, I love telling these stories. When I was a kid, I, I, I know I've shared this before. My grandfather was a ritual uh, slaughter, a shochet in Pittsburgh. He used to travel around you know, different places, different cities to, to be engaged in that, in, that, in that work. But in Pittsburgh, because the slaughterhouses, the kosher slaughterhouses weren't, weren't located directly in Pittsburgh. But in our neighborhood, there was a chicken place. There was a place where... Kosher chickens were slaughtered, prepared, 
and sold straight up fresh. You could not get fresher chicken than Greenberg's Poultry. Are you with me on this? The place was called Greenberg's Poultry. You could not, and I bet if you Googled Greenberg's Poultry, Murray Avenue, Pittsburgh, Squirrel Hill, you probably would find a picture of that store, the outside of the store. The guys were dressed in white. Um, my grandfather would go there on Sundays in Schacht, and I would hang out sometimes as a kid, you know? Uh, my grandfather was, was Schechting, so where do you hang out on a Sunday morning? You know, at, at the, the chicken place. And I would see how they prepared the chicken and how it was, you know, the whole process was done. And I had the opportunity to do the mitzvah of covering the blood with the, with the, with the dust. It's really like, um, it's usually, it's not dust, it's usually like, um, I don't know what it is, like maybe wood chips? I don't know if it's wood chips. I don't know, it's, some, it's like some sort of stuff that you, 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 cover, you cover the blood, you don't leave the blood exposed. After the slaughter, your blood drips down, you cover it up, and there's a blessing because it's a biblical mitzvah. Literally, we just read it. It's a positive commandment, like wrapping tefillin, like putting up mezuzah, like hearing the shofar in Rosh Hashanah. It's a mitzvah to cover the blood. It's literally one of the 248 positive commandments. You say the bracha, Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu right? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, who sanctified with, with his, sanctified us with His commandments and has given us the commandment, to cover the blood with the, with the dust. And then you proceed to cover the blood with the dust. So it's a mitzvah, positive mitzvah, and I'm, I just got a bit nostalgic, and I, 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 uh, I um, shared that with you, personal experience with that. All right, why, why must it be covered? Once again, in verse 14, for regarding the soul, of all flesh, its blood is in its soul. Its blood is in its soul? I thought its soul was in its blood. Okay, I guess it's a bit interchangeable, right? The blood and the soul are connected. And God says, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the soul of any flesh is its blood. All who eat it shall be cut off. Don't eat the blood. Don't eat the soul of the animal. Again, it's too potent on the recipient side, but it's also disrespectful on the animal side. And thus, if it's, if, if, when it falls to the ground, <coughs> you have to cover it. By the way, let's understand what the covering is. Okay? What do you cover it with? Earth or some, some earth-like substance. What does that sound like? Help me out here. What is it? When the blood spills to the ground, you cover the blood. What does it sound like? Burial. Sounds like burial, exactly. It sounds like you're laying the soul to rest, the soul that's connected with the blood when it spills to the ground, right? You're not allowed to eat it. What do you do with it? You bury it. This is, it's, it's, it's a testament to the sanctity and the holiness and the, the sacredness of the animal and the animal spirit. So we don't take this very lightly. In other words, even as there's an allowance in Jewish law, in Torah, there's an allowance to eat meat. There's a very specific protocol by how, as to how that's done. It has to be a certain type of animal, a certain type of knife, a certain type of slaughtering process, etc. And what fills it is a sensitivity and a respect and a sacredness of, of the animal's spirit. We don't eat the blood. We don't eat the soul of the animal. We eat part of the animal. 
Only certain parts, very limited parts of the animal are allowed to be consumed as kosher. And those parts are to, um, to enliven, to give life to the person, to allow the person to do a mitzvah, for example, or study Torah like we're doing right now. And that elevates and transforms the, at least part of the animal into a space of holiness. But again, we're being very sensitive to the spirit of the animal, to the soul of the animal, by covering or, in fact, burying the blood. Okay, let's jump back in. And any person, verse 15, and any person, whether a native or a stranger, who eats carrion, or what was torn, shall immerse his garments and immerse himself in the waters, and he shall remain unclean until evening, and then he shall become clean. That, rent, that renders a person impure. Ritually impure. But if he does not immerse his garments or immerse his flesh, if he doesn't go to mikvah, he doesn't, doesn't uh, purify himself, then he shall bear his sin, i.e. if he subsequently goes into the temple, into the mishkan, etc., then that will be problematic. Let's take a look at Rashi's on these few verses, and then we will continue. Okay, let's, uh, let's do this. One second. Okay, who traps? Traps. We said when you trap an animal and then slaughter it, then you have to cover the blood with dust. Okay, Rashi points out. Had the verse stated only this phrase, traps, we would only know, we would know only that this law applies to creatures that require trapping. But how do we know that the law includes also geese and roosters, which do not require trapping? Aha, uh-huh. that's a good question. So an animal, a wild animal, you have to trap before you shaft. How are you going to shaft? You're going to run alongside a deer? Be like, hey, Hey, dear, right? Hold on. Let me quickly check you. So you got to trap the... Physically, this is not a, 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 a metaphysical concept. You have to physically contain the animal before you shecht it. Whereas a rooster or, or a goose, you don't have to contain the animal. I mean, they're kind of... They're just around. Um, I've been around chickens before. I know, I, know they, uh, I know they jump around a little bit, but they're not like running full speed ahead like, uh, like a deer. So... If it, it, the Torah only says that when you trap an animal and then shecht it and then the blood fo- uh, goes out, then you have to cover it. How do you know that that applies to an animal that you didn't have to trap in, to, uh, in the first place because it's like a geese or a rooster, which, you, which don't require trapping? Scripture, therefore, adds the word tzed, a quarry, meaning in any way, even if not trapped. In other words, whether it's trapped or not trapped. So if so, then why is it stated who traps? So then why say traps? To teach us that one should not eat flesh except with his preparation, meaning that just as one does not go out to trap every day, neither should one eat meat regularly at all his meals, as if he had to go out and trap it. And now we have here an allusion to the fact that we don't need to eat meat with every meal, right? So um, just right, one should not eat flesh except with his preparation. And as, as it's explained in the, in the commentary on Rashi's commentary, which is, I'm uh, assume, uh, um, certainly coming from the original sources of the Midrash and the Talmud, right? Just like you don't go trapping animals every day, so you don't have to eat meat every day. We, look, we live in a different world. We live in a different world. We live in a world where if you want to eat meat every day or chicken or whatever it is, poultry, you go to the store, go to the kosher uh, place, and you can, get, you can stock up a freezer and you're good to go for a month or longer if you wish, if the freezer is large enough. But we're learning here an idea that it's um, one does not have to eat meat every single day. One does not have to eat meat with every meal. In fact, the Talmud says 
that we have to be careful if we're eating meat because it is a responsibility. You're, you're, the only justification for taking the life of an animal is if you're going to elevate it to a higher space. If not, then, then uh, proceed with caution. Let's continue. Um, this excludes unclean creatures, in other words, non-kosher animals. Their blood does not require covering. The whole covering is only a kosher animal that was shechted properly, or shechted, slaughtered. The blood has to be covered. A non-kosher animal, the blood does not need to be covered. Okay. Its blood is in its soul. Its blood is in the very place of its very soul, because the soul is dependent on it. Again, blood and soul, peas in a pot over here, at least the way it's described. Um, okay, this is an interesting, an interesting uh, Rashi here. It's a grammatical Rashi, which we usually skip, but it's an interesting one. So you may know this, but in the Hebrew language, you have words that are masculine and feminine. In English, not so much. I mean, you have, you know, him, her, uh, sorry, his, her, he, she. You have, obviously, gender words, but... Nouns don't usually contain a, a, a masculine and feminine version of it, but in Hebrew, a lot of words, words are either masculine or feminine. So the word he, meaning here it is, meaning here it is, is feminine in gender. Who is masculine? He is feminine. So for the soul is the blood, for the words dam and bus are masculine in gender, while the word nefesh is feminine in gender. So interesting. So blood and flesh in Hebrew, dam and basar, blood and flesh, are masculine terms. But nefesh, soul, is feminine in gender. There you go. I thought that was interesting to note. Right? When we talk about anatomy or we talk about parts of the body, so blood, dam, masculine term, basar, masculine term, nefesh, soul, feminine. All right, next. Um, someone who eats carrion or what was torn. Here we go. Scripture speaking about the carcass of a clean bird, i.e. a kosher type of bird, which transmit defilement only at the time it is swallowed into the esophagus. So it's the carcass of a kosher bird, but it only rend- but it renders one um, impure when it's swallowed. Not when you touch it. And it teaches you here that it defiles the person who eat- when he eats it. The trefa, the bird mortally wounded by a wild beast or stricken with a terminal illness, however, does not transmit defilement. Consequently, the torn one mentioned here was written only to expound upon it. Thus we learn, one may think that the carcass of an unclean bird also defiles when it is swallowed into the esophagus. Scripture therefore states, says, or what was torn, referring to a type of bird that may fall into the category of trefa, which is a kosher bird, which is prohibited only if it is torn, thus excluding the case of an unclean bird, which can never fall into the category of trefa because it's prohibited in any case. <coughs> so, an unkosher bird, number one, don't eat it. If someone ate it, okay, then you don't become impure. It's, it, it's a problem for the eating, but it's not a problem for the impurity part of it. But if, you, if a person eats a kosher type of bird, but that was, it was torn, um, it was... Um, you know, torn in the field or whatever it is, it, it, it died, you know, so it got attacked or whatever, so it wasn't slaughtered properly. So you, you're not supposed to eat it, but if you did eat it, then that renders a person in a state of impurity because it is a dead carcass that is being consumed 
and that renders one, in addition to the fact that it's not, it's not kosher at this, at this stage, it's a trefa, in addition to that, it renders one impure. So if somebody, and you have to go to mikvah to get out of that, but what if you don't go to mikvah? So then he shall bear his sin. So Rashi explains what kind of sin. The sin is if he subsequently eats holy sacrifice or enters the sanctuary in his unclean state. He is punished by excision. That's a pretty serious one. Soul getting the soul's cut off because of this uncleanness, like all other cases of uncleanness. So in any case of tummah, of ritual impurity, if you haven't gone through that ritual purification process, if you're still in a state of impurity, not you, if one is still in a state of ritual impurity and they go into the temple or they eat some temple food, it's a problem. It's a serious problem. Okay. Let's continue Leviticus chapter 18. Uh, but first, any questions, comments? Comment. Yes. Um, so I, I never realized um, how blood is sanctified. Now, I'm not speaking to eating and drinking, but I'm speaking of, like, in Israel, if there's yeah. something happens and they have to go out and they actually scrape up the blood from the sidewalk from whatever... Yeah. You're referring to Zaka, the organization in Israel that um, after, it's dramatically expressed after, God forbid, God forbid, should never happen, a terrorist attack in the past, terrorist attacks when, without getting too graphic, uh, people are blown up and there's a mitzvah to bury a person and every part of the person including the blood, and they scrape off every single ounce that they can and, uh, and lay it to rest. And yes, it's a, I mean, it's not exactly the same. That's, it's a human being in the midst of burial. But there, here we have, a, a, yeah, with the covering of the blood, there's a, not exact, again, it's not exactly the same, but it's similar energy to the fact that it's sacred, the, the, at least the blood, soul blood of, of the animal is sacred and therefore needs to, be, needs to be at least covered in its place where it is now. On the ground. Okay. Let's continue with a new chapter. Still in reading number five, which is today's reading, but a brand new chapter. Le- Le- Leviticus chapter 18. Okay, I'm going to toggle Rashi off so we have a cleaner view. Here we go. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. Okay, now we're getting an intro. Not... You don't always have this. A lot of times God says to Moses, tell the people, here's the deal. But here, the first thing is, okay, tell the people that I am God. Right? I am the Lord your God. In other words, listen to me. I'm God, listen to me. So sometimes you can tell someone what to do. Like, hey, can you, uh, I'd like you to do this. So, and sometimes you're like, remember, I'm the boss. And now let me tell you what to do. That's when you really want to emphasize it. So there's, there's some emphasis in this preamble here. And what is the actual instruction, like the practice of the land of Egypt in which you dwelled, you shall not do. Don't behave like the Egyptians behaved. And like the practice of the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you, also you shall not do. You shall not follow their statutes. In other words, where you came from and where you're going to, don't emulate those nations' ways. Don't emulate the ways of the Egyptians nor of the Canaanites. Their idolatrous, immoral practices are not for you. Let's continue. You shall fulfill my ordinances and observe my statutes. 
to follow them. I am the Lord your God. Rather, don't follow the Egyptians. Don't follow the Canaanites. Follow me, says God. I am the Lord your God. This is bookended. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And then once again, a third time, mini version. You shall observe my statutes and my ordinances, which a man shall do and live by them. I am the Lord. And once again, God doubles down, actually triples down and says, I am God. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. I don't want you following the ways of the Egyptians or the ways of the Canaanites. I do want you to follow my ways, my statutes, my ordinances. And then he adds, which a man shall do and live by them. I want you to live by these laws. Now, this opens up a new teaching our sages bring out from this. The literal meaning is live with Judaism. Another meaning is live with Judaism, which means that if a person's life is in threat because of a Jewish practice, it's, it's better to discard the practice and live than to hold on to the practice and put one's life at risk. Famous example, on Shabbat, we break Shabbat or we override Shabbat to save a life. Why? Because the Torah says, and live by them. You're supposed to live with the mitzvot and not die at the hands of the mitzvot. With three exceptions. Number one, murder. Number two, um, like incestuous relationships. And number three, um, number three is, what is it? Idolatry. Oh yeah, idolatry. So it's murder, immorality, and idolatry, idol worship. Those are the three big mitzvot that if push comes to shove, if somebody tells someone else, um, kill that other person or I'll kill you, then that person has to, you can't take a life to save your life. Nor can you engage in an illicit relationship, nor can you engage in an act of idolatry, even uh, by pain of death. And that is why historically, Jews throughout the, throughout the ages, when faced with the, um, the option to convert or die, Jews historically, by and large, said, we're not converting. We're not, uh, we're not, we're not kissing the cross. We're not giving up our identity. We're not, we're not relinquishing our Yiddishkeit, our Judaism. We're not turning our back on, on our monotheistic Jewish beliefs just because someone is threatening us with, uh, with, um, you know, with, 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 with death. Because that's one of the big three mitzvot that we give up our lives for rather than violating. But other than those, other than those three, the other 610, those are mitzvot that we, do, well, yeah, the other 610, you violate to save a life. Why? Because of what the Torah says, and you shall live by them, not die by them but live by them. That's the, that's the rule. A few exceptions, but that's the rule. Okay, let's do Rashi's on these few verses, and then we're going to continue with the rest, with, with, uh, with reading number six. I am the Lord your God. Rashi explains why God introduced himself like that. I am the one who said at Sinai, I am the Lord your God, and you accepted my sovereignty upon yourselves at that time. Consequently, accept my decrees. In other words, if you're already in, if you pledge your allegiance at Sinai, well, now you have to accept my decrees, and now I'm telling you what you can do and what you can't do. Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, says it is, an op- it is openly known before him. 
God knew the future, that they would eventually be scourged, 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 I'm not sure how to pronounce that, by transgressing the laws of immoral relations in the days of Ezra. Oof. Look at that. God knew that in the future, a, a, uh, um, a state of immorality would break out. Therefore, concerning these laws, God came to them with a decree, I am the Lord your God. You should know who was placing these decrees upon you, the judge who exacts retribution, but who is faithful also to pay a reward. Elohim and Hashem, God is basically saying, you're on warning now, right? I know it's going to happen in the future, but, but as of right now, you have a warning about not descending and devolving into this state of immorality. Okay? God says, don't be like the Egyptians. Rashi explains, this verse tells us that the deeds of the Egyptians and the Canaanites, oh, God says, don't be like the Egyptians or the Canaanites. What does that tell us? That the Egyptians and the Canaanites were more corrupt than those of other nations. And moreover, the Egyptians residing in that region of Egypt in which the Israelites had dwelt were the most corrupt of all. In other words, we saw it all. In Egypt, we, we were in the seediest of neighborhoods. And going into Canaan, which would then become Israel, that would be also a place that was steeped in immorality. This verse, the next one, this verse informs that those Canaanite people whom the Israelites conquered were more corrupt than any other people, even the Egyptians. And the Canaanites were worse than the Egyptians. All right, here we go. And you shall not follow their statutes. What did Scripture omit until now that it did not state and, and that it did not state and includes in this clause? However, these are their social practices. What does it mean to not follow their statutes? Don't follow their social practices, things that assume the status of law for them. For example, certain days set aside for attendance at theaters and stadiums. Rabbi Meir says, these practices referred to here are the ways of the Amorites, the superstitious practices enumerated by our sages, as described in the Talmud and in the Midrash. Basically, not following the statutes of the other nations or the corrupt nations would refer to, obviously, no idolatry, obviously no immorality, but even the social practices. Even the social practices of the theaters and the stadiums and all that stuff, that's not something that a Jew should necessarily be also all in on. Look, it doesn't mean you can't go, whatever, but it just... You know, just totally assimilating and being one like the other nations, the Torah says that's not the Jewish way. That is not what we're meant to do. Nor should we adopt the superstitious practices. Superstitious practices are not necessarily idolatrous, but they're superstitious. So, like, I'm not trying to call out any specific practice, and I always hesitate before getting too specific, but, like, if, if the whole country, if our society is all into the horoscopes, okay, let's check the horoscopes, see what's going on today. Well, maybe one could argue that, that the Torah is saying you don't, have to, you don't have to follow the leader on everything, including superstitions. We, can, we have our own tradition, we have our own faith, we have our own path, and we should not be following the ways of others. Okay. Um, here we go. To follow them, Rashi says, do not take leave from studying them, i.e. you shall not say... I have learned the wisdom of Israel. Now I will go and learn the wisdom of the other nations. Do not follow them by saying, oh, I want to expand my, my knowledge by studying other wisdoms. Look, it doesn't mean you can't study science and mathematics, but it means 
the intrigue of, oh, here's what Torah says, but let me explore what other philosophies say, you know, and maybe it's even better. That's already touching on a line that's not so kosher as we would say. Doesn't mean we have to be ignorant. It just means you have to have, have everything in a balance. By the way, Maimonides talks about this at length. And he says that if you're studying other wisdoms in order to expand your Jewish knowledge, because you're going to be able to compare and contrast, you know, okay, so this is, then, then it's kosher. Or if you're using it, like you're using science and mathematics to enhance your understanding of Jewish law, which includes math and science, okay, that's kosher again. But if you're kind of flirting with other philosophies, like, oh, maybe there's another philosophy that's better out there, that already gets into a uh, not-so-kosher not so kosher, um, uh, territory. And, and I, should, I should add, it's not that Judaism is scared. It's not that the Torah is scared. If somebody studies something else, they might be so enamored and enraptured by that other philosophy that they might just drop Torah. So we want to we keep people ignorant to what's out there so that they'll, you know, they'll stay far. That's not, that's not the reason for this. The reason is because the, 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 the 100% truth is <coughs> that other philosophies can implant a, another way of looking at life that is contrary to a Jewish outlook. And it's, it, could be very, it could become very hard to recover from that type of mindset. It's very difficult sometimes. You implant ideas in someone's head or you, yeah, I, I don't mean like a chip, but I mean like, you know, you get some ideas in your head, it's hard to get rid of them. And a lot of ideas in the world are not true to a Jewish perspective. And it's hard to like, to, to divest of those and to, to fall. So Torah says, God says, I'd rather you, you know, attune your mind to a divine wisdom as opposed to getting distracted by some of the other stuff. Okay, so that is it. By the way, Maimonides also said, also writes, that if you're studying these other sciences and philosophies to make a living, you're also allowed to do it. So if you're going to become a doctor, yeah, you can learn medicine. And a philosopher, Sure, you're going to teach philosophy. Sure. Has a paycheck. Sure. But if it's like, I want, to, I want to explore other ideas out there. Maybe I'm going to find something that's better than Judaism. Again, it's not that Judaism is afraid. It's not that God is afraid of what you might discover. But it's going to negatively... Okay, you know what? Let me, let me, let me say this as simple as I can. You ready? You're in, a, you're in a relationship. You're in a marriage. Yeah? And imagine one spouse says to the other... Yeah, I love you and I'm committed to you, but I want to explore something else out there. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be with other people. I'm going to explore what else is out there. And, you know, just, just a, a sample. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, again, there's different, different models of relationships, sure. But here's the, here's the bottom line point. The bottom line point is it might be hard to recover from that and get back to that place of, pure connection with one's spouse once other, other avenues and channels, shall we say, have been opened. And so it's a similar concept. It's not that, you know, there's fear of finding something better necessarily, but it's just creating, I would use the word unnecessary, creating unnecessary distractions and complications and confusions that take away from that pure connection. So God is saying, we have a wisdom, we have a philosophy, we have a way of life called Judaism, Torah and mitzvot in Judaism. Focus on that. Not that God's afraid. 
of what you're going to find, but that God is saying, okay, I mean, you can, you can try it, but you're just going to be possibly confusing yourself and working against yourself. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Sort of? Ish? No? A little bit? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sarah, you sound, you sound like you're on board. Joy, you look like you're a little like, uh, I don't know. there well it just it kind of seems like it, there needs to be a deeper dive i mean it depends on what you're exploring it's not right. like everything would fall in that category i mean if you went to some of these retreats that deal in the mystical whatever but if you're studying science and you know the constellations or being a doctor or a dentist right. or a, a right. carpenter. I mean, right. you know, you could get devoted to anything. Right. And lose your way. Right. And I think those would be fine. In other words, study medicine to be a doctor, law to be a lawyer, um, carpentry to be a carpenter. Like, that's all that is fine. Um, what gets into the gray area, and it's still not, I would say it's still not black and white because every situation is unique. Every, you know. But where it starts getting into that territory is where a person is now intrigued as, you know, starting, starting from, you know, the, the, I'll say worst case scenarios, you know, let me take a look at how other, how are the Egyptians worshiping their gods? Maybe I want to give it a try. That's, that's like, whoa, that's God says, don't do that. The Canaanites don't do that. Even their, the cultural stuff, like you don't have to get sucked into the culture, the super, the, the, um, not superstitions. The um, uh, well, maybe it was superstitions. What the? What was the the language? Yeah, the superstitious practices. You don't have to get and the wisdom. Like I want to learn and see what everyone else is learning because you know it sounds maybe it's wiser than our wisdom. Again, if it's using if it's being used to enhance one's one's uh, you know for career for money for parnasa that's one thing. To enhance one's Judaism that's also fine. The gray area would be if it's now going to cause some sort of distraction and implant questions. Because the reality is, it's really hard to undo those questions and confusion. It's hard. And so, you know, it's like, okay, so what, what was gained? What was gained is now, it's like the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God says to Adam and Eve, like, don't eat from the tree. Why? Knowledge is bad. No, knowledge is good. But knowledge of good and evil, now you're going to get confused. Right? Good and evil. Like, oh, is it good? Is it evil? I don't know. Okay, so... Can of worms opened up, and now what? Now we're still dealing with that. We're still dealing with with the with the challenge of good and evil. Good and evil, I not not good and bad. Good and evil being good and evil. Now there's um. Now there's there's the the the, the questions that we face are like, well, something might be good, but it doesn't feel good. Something might be evil, but it does feel good. And now things are complicated. We live in a complicated world because of of going into those spaces that create that. Confusion. Adam and Eve, they ate from a tree and that created some level of confusion. And I think it's like a, a microcosm of that. So let's not jump, jump in to expose ourselves to things that are just going to create confusion. Again, it doesn't mean you can't study science or English or whatever. It just means that we have to be careful as far as where we draw that line. And I don't think there's any you know, hard and fast rule. There's a lot of gray areas, but it's a, it's a value and a perspective. Look, taken to, to the extreme, if you want to take this to the extreme, then that's the, 
the, the image of, the, of a very cloistered and sheltered Jewish community that doesn't allow in any influences because everything out there is trafe. Everything is not kosher and we got we to gotta ban the internet and all that stuff. And that's the extreme. A more moderate approach. And what I'm trying to say is even within Jewish communities, this has been applied, this, these concepts have been applied in, in di- to different varying degrees. Um, you have other communities that are very open. But we'll still draw the line somewhere and say, well, that's, that's already... Anyway, I have some stories to share, but, but not for now. Not for right now. Um, okay, back inside. I look, it, it's, your point is well taken, and I agree with you. Uh, well, that's la- why we still question. That's why steady. we still question. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, oh, interesting. Rashi doesn't bring the and live by them as referring to that you're allowed to override mitzvot to save a life. Okay. By the way, I am the Lord, Rashi says, I am faithful to pay a reward. In other words, the good things that we do, do not, uh, don't worry, it's, it's going to, ultimately it's going to pay off. Not that that's why we do it, but just know that it's, it, it'll be good. All right, let's, scoot, let's do reading number six. I don't think we're going to need too much commentary here. These are pretty much forbidden and incestuous relationships. Here we go. Leviticus chapter 18, verse number 6. And you should know, by the way, that this is the Torah reading on Yom Kippur. This section over here. The first part of our Torah portion this week that talked about the, the, the service of the high priest in the, in the temple on, on Yom Kippur, we read that in the morning of Yom Kippur. And in the afternoon of Yom Kippur, we, we read this about the forbidden relationships. I'll talk about that a little bit later, about the juxtaposition. But it's, it's an interesting thing to keep in mind. All right, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 6. No man shall come near to any of his close relatives to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. In other words, it's your father's relation. This means your father's wife, even if it's not your mother. If it's a stepmother, right? So that's a forbidden relationship. It's an incestuous relationship. The nakedness of your sister, whether your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether born to one who may remain in the home or born to one who must be sent outside, you shall not uncover their nakedness. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, right? this is now a grandchild, you shall not uncover their nakedness, for they are your own nakedness. The nakedness of, your daughter, of the daughter of your father's wife, born to your father, she is your sister. This would be, again, daughter of your father's wife. I don't know that I really want to do a deep dive into this, but... I, just to explain the, the relationship here, daughter of your father's wife would mean a half-sibling. A half-sibling or a stepsister. A st- um, daughter of your father's wife. That means your father, presumably, it's, right, it's a step... It's a half. It's a half. half. Because you're, it, the same father, different mothers. Right, 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 right. A step would be if it, if it was from the wife's previous marriage or relationship. Okay, yeah. right. So I guess probably either way. Oh, no, born to your father. Right, it's a half-sibling. Correct, born to your father. She's your sister. Half-sibling is a sibling. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, aunt. She is a close relative of your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, another aunt, she is the, for she is the close relative of your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not come near his wife. She is your aunt. 
You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. That would be a sister-in-law. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Right, a mother and a daughter. You shall not take in marriage her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are close relatives. It is evil counsel. Again, let's just break this down quickly. Uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Again, theoretically, in Judaism, in biblical law, you can marry two women. You can't marry a woman and her daughter. That's not, cannot be in a relationship with a woman and her daughter. That's not a thing. Um, again, it's, it's, an, it's a different thing because it's not my daughter. It's not my, it doesn't matter. It's a woman and her daughter. No. Um, you shall not take a marriage her son's daughter, her son's daughter, or her daughter's daughter, right? So a, a woman and her granddaughter also. Also is forbidden. Okay, fine. Got that. 18. You shall not take a woman with your sister in marriage as rivals. Oh, this is a, this is a big one. Yeah? Again, biblical law, you could theoretically marry two women. You cannot marry a, 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 some, a woman and her sister. Right? Because that creates rivals amongst the sisters to uncover the nakedness of one upon the other in her lifetime. Now, who is who did this? Who do we know? Which of our... which? Biblical character married two sisters. You guys know this, huh? Yes. Yeah. Yaakov. What? Yaakov violated Leviticus. What chapter is this? Leviticus eighteen eighteen. Chai chai. Unbelievable. Our our patriarch Jacob violated this law that you cannot take a woman and her sister in marriage. You can't marry two siblings. He married Rachel and he married Leah. What's going on with that? How did he violate the Torah? And, and I know the obvious answer is because the Torah wasn't around. What do you mean he violated the Torah? The Torah wasn't around yet. So yeah, it hadn't been given. So uh, yeah, so that's, that, that was his deal. But no, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's an answer, but it's too easy of an answer because we know that our patriarchs and matriarchs, they kept the Torah even before it was formally given. So how did Jacob violate, it, violate this one? So I just want to jump in. Recording in progress. Hey guys, I'm back. <laughs> I have no idea where I got cut out, but my internet went down. What, uh, what, what was the last thing I was saying? About Jacob? Yes. Yes. Yeah, the easy answer is that how could Jacob marry two sisters? Well, the Torah wasn't given yet, so he didn't have the prohibition. Now we have a prohibition, so now we're stuck. But he married two siblings, no problem. That's not a great answer because at the end of the day, we know that the patriarchs and matriarchs, they kept the Torah even before it was given. They, they, they knew it or they had it. They had some sort of, you know, intuition or document about it. So they, they, they kept the Torah. So how did he marry two siblings? Here's the deal. You know, their status, their relationship vis-a-vis -vis Torah and mitzvot prior to Sane was, was um, uh, volunteer, uh, 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 Volunteer, volu voluntary. They were, they, they were, they, they, they chose to observe Torah. They didn't have to. 
At Sinai now, we became bound to Torah. Prior to Sinai, pre-Sinai, even though they kept the mitzvot, that was voluntary. That was a choice. Okay, stay with me. Jacob had promised Rachel that he would marry her. And then, I mean, they had agreed to get married. And then his father-in-law switched Leah with Rachel. So he married Leah. So he, in actuality, he married Leah, but he meant to marry Rachel and he promised her. So pre-Sinai, to keep a promise was obligatory. To go above and beyond and keep Torah was, was voluntary. Are you with me on that? In other words, he had promised Rachel to marry her. That's the second sister, right? I, he thought he was going to marry her and not, not Leah, but he got, he got tricked to marry Leah. And then he marries Rachel because he was bound by his promise and his pledge. I, to, Torah says not to marry two sisters. One, keeping your promise is obligatory. Even back then it was obligatory. Keeping the prohibition or not doing the prohibition of two sisters, marrying two sisters, that's optional. That's voluntary. That's not, uh, that's not mandatory. Does that make sense? Did I, get, did I cut out or no? You guys heard me. Huh? I'm on BIO again. Okay. So basically, the way it works is like this. The bottom line is, when you have something that you have to do or something that you've chosen to do, right? But you don't have to. What you have to overrides what you chose to do. That's the way it works. So when he pledged to marry Rachel, that was an obligation. And he had to follow through with that. The fact that, they, that, that he had married Leah, now there's now his two sisters, and it's violating the Torah, he was not obligated to keep Torah at that point. It was optional. The, the lesson in life is, here's, you want, you want, here's a powerful takeaway. It's thinking about what are obligations, what are necessities, versus what I would like, what would be nice to have. Right? Two different... Two different realities. Recording in progress. Okay, something, something about this inside is just not working out. By the way, we're, re, we're changing. Uh, probably what's happening right now is we're changing the internet provider here at Chabad. Um, but I'm now on my mobile hotspot. So if T-Mobile goes down, then it's going to be a sign. Then it will be a sign from the heavens. But right now I'm on my own Wi-Fi. So let's, let me get through this insight. Basically, it goes like this. When... When it comes to a choice between my personal piety or doing right what's obligated by someone else, I put someone else before my personal piety. To do what's right and marry Rachel, that was, sorry, to marry Rachel was doing right by someone else and that's obligatory. His own personal piety of not marrying two sisters, that he pushed aside. And the powerful message for us in life is that, you know, when it comes to ourselves and our comfort, sometimes we're presented with an opportunity to help someone else who really needs the help. We say, yeah, but it's uncomfortable for me or it's going to take some time or whatever it is. We have to push aside personal piety, the optional stuff, or you know, personally optional stuff 
to take care of the necessities of someone else. Like the Rebbe would often say, if somebody, if somebody is in need of a favor, materially or spiritually, it doesn't matter, they need it. And you're like, well, but I have to, you know, I, I, I would like to study more Torah. I don't have the time. Push your studies on the side and push, push, it, push it off and help that person. And here's a story, a real story that happened with the students of the Baal Shem Tov. They were once studying in their yeshiva together, a small group of guys. And a, um, a wagon driver came into the study hall and said, I, my, my horse got stuck in the mud and it's getting dark and we need to, can you help me get my horse unstuck or my, the wagon, the wagon, the horse in the wagon. Can you help me get it unstuck from the mud? And recording in progress. Okay. My friends, I don't even know what to say anymore. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together somehow, some way. Um, all right, here we go. Fine. Back on. So, again, the story goes. It was the study hall of the Baal Shem Tov students, and they were studying, and a wagon driver comes, and he's, he bangs on the door. He says, please help me. My, my, my horse is stuck. The wagon's stuck. Maybe the horse was injured. I don't know. The, the horse was stuck. And... Um, and they, uh, they, they, started, they started discussing amongst us, can, are they allowed to stop studying Torah to help out this guy? Are you with me? It's a question. Are you allowed to? Are you allowed to be mevatel Talmud Torah? Are you allowed to stop studying Torah to help out a horse and a wagon? Maybe yes, maybe not. They had a whole debate. Some people said yes, some people said no. By the time they decided that yes, they're allowed to help the horse, the horse had died. Because it was stuck for so long. And so the moral of the story is, never put your personal piety in front of a need that exists uh, to help someone else out, to help the wagon driver, to help the horse. You, gotta, you have to put things in perspective. right? Extra time to, of, of Torah study may not, be, may not uh, supersede helping someone else with a necessity, with a life and a death situation. So bottom line is, that although the Torah prohibits marrying two sisters, Jacob was permitted, actually obligated to do so because he had pledged to do so to Rachel. Let's continue. Verse 19, again, the forbidden relationships into a woman during the uncleanness of her separation. You shall not come near to uncover her nakedness. This refers to the menstruation time. You shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to become defiled by her. That's, of course, adultery. And you shall not give, final verse of today's reading, uh, actually the sixth reading, you shall not give any of your offspring to pass through for molech. Molech was they had a fire ritual and they passed the children through. You shall not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So here we have a pretty decently comprehensive list of all of the forbidden relationships uh, that Torah uh, proscribes, i.e. forbids. Um, most of them are incestuous relationships, relatives, etc. Those are forbidden. Um, and also a few others that are forbidden for various reasons. These are all considered to be, um, not considered, these are all forbidden relationships. 
that one is not to engage in. I mentioned the other day, maybe yesterday, maybe the day before, that anytime the Torah is to tell you not to do something, it means that somewhere, someone's been doing it. Unfortunately, Torah tells us about the morality of relationships and healthy relationships, and here we have the list to get started with. All right, um, makes sense? Just one, one final quick point about this. I mentioned that on Yom Kippur, in the morning, we read about the high priest and the service. We, literally, in 2022, in last, uh, you know, the, coming up Yom Kippur in a few months, we're going to be reading the opening of our Torah portion, Achrei, Yom Kippur morning, we'll read about the, the, about the high priest's journey in the, in the Holy of Holies. The incense and the bull and the goats and all that stuff. And in the afternoon, by Mincha time of, of Yom Kippur, we're going to read about this list of pro- prohibited relationships. And the question is, why? The morning reading we get, it's about Yom Kippur. It's about the service. But why are we reading, of all, the, of all the sections of Torah that we could choose for Yom Kippur afternoon, why would we choose the one about forbidden relationships? And many answers are given. I mean, it's one answer, a pragmatic answer is, well, it's in, it's, it's in the same Torah portion, right? So it's convenient. You don't, have to, you don't have to scroll your Torah. It's like right there. That's a simple answer, but that's not a satisfying answer. I saw it. I've shared before. I've saw an answer that says like this, even on Yom Kippur, even on the holiest day of the year, you still have to remind yourself, you still have to be careful of, you know, looking or thinking or doing things that you shouldn't be doing relationship-wise. This is one of this, I'm, I'm going to speak with euphemisms and I'm sure everyone understands what I'm talking about, is one of the most powerful drives of a human being. And therefore, the Torah reminds us to be careful. Even on Yom Kippur, we're not free. We're not, um, when I say free, we're not uh, suddenly actually transported to the realm of angels we're still very much human beings. Anytime a person thinks that they're too big or too holy to fall in, 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 in a negative, uh, negative actions, negative, negative choices, we're, 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 we're very soon reminded that we're human and, uh, and, and we are very susceptible. As God told Cain, sin crouches at the door, right? It's always, temptation is always there and the next the next pothole is always in front of us. So the point is not to become depressed or anxious about it. The point is to become vigilant about it, to, to recognize that I am human and therefore I, I, I need to know what's right and what's wrong and be careful in relationships that are okay and not okay. Right? Bottom line is, right, we read about the neighbor's wife here and today the last, one of the last few verses. Right? Speaking very practically, yeah, be careful. Be careful. It's not only about the neighbor's wife. It could be the neighbor's husband. Same, same point. It's not gender specific. It means the one who's not your spouse. Be careful. Be careful. It's a cautionary note. Even on Yom Kippur, we have, to, we have to caution about this, especially Yom Kippur. Why? Not because we're concerned that anything's going to happen in the lobby of the synagogue. But, the, or, but also that. But the point is, even on Yom Kippur, right, we're human. And, and, and we should never pretend like we're not susceptible to, to, um, to confusing thoughts. We have to be careful and create the boundaries that are healthy boundaries for relationships. Okay, I hope that makes sense. And I hope my points are coming through okay and I hope it's resonating on some level. Bottom line is, even a high priest 
on Yom Kippur, even us on Yom Kippur, still human beings, still have to be careful to make sure that we have the right boundaries in our um, actions and relationships to stay in a healthy, holy place. All right, thanks for joining me today for DBP. Tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel, we close out the week with Shvi, the seventh reading, and with the Haftorah. So join me tomorrow. Um, tonight, no classes. Oh, and don't forget, wine and cheese event, huge blowout event this Tuesday night. If you're not yet signed up, get in on the action. It's going to be a load of fun. All right, that is Tuesday night, obviously in person, um, at 7.30 p.m. right here at Chabad in Jeff's place. Okay, questions or comments? That's it. Okay, great to see you all. Joy and Ray and Sarah and Olia, have a wonderful day. Take care. See you soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Pleasure. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.